From Data Rails, this is FPNA Today. Hello, everyone. Welcome to FPNA Today. I am your host, Paul Barnhurst, aka the FPNA Guy, and you are listening to FPNA Today. FPNA Today is brought to you by DataRails, financial planning and analysis platform for Excel users. Every week, we welcome a leader from the world of financial planning and analysis and discuss some of the biggest stories and challenges in the world of FPNA. We'll provide you with actionable advice about financial planning and analysis. This is going to be your go-to resource for everything FPNA. I am thrilled to welcome today's guest on the show, Mike Richards. Mike, welcome to the show. Hello, Paul. I'm honored and a bit scared, you know, being the other side of the microphone. Usually I'm the one, you know, in, in charge and asking the questions. I ask the questions and now, yeah, you're getting your own back. Well, I'll see if I can come up with some difficult ones for you to make it hard. We're really excited to have you here. And just a little bit about Mike. Mike comes to us from London. He graduated from the University of London, runs his own business called Treasury Recruitment Company. And as you probably guessed, he also hosts a podcast. It's a popular podcast called Treasury Career Corner. So this week, we're going to talk about how you know Treasury and FP&A work together and just some things in that, in that space and you know, how they're similar, how they're different. And so super excited to have Mike to talk with us a little bit about that. But how about we start with you telling us a little bit about your background, how you ended up where you're at? Well, thank you, Paul. Uh, as you say, I am the CEO of the Treasury Recruitment Company. That's exactly what we do. I uh, started in Treasury Recruitment over 25 years ago now. Started the treasury recruitment division of a global financial recruiter in 1998. God, it seems a few years ago. I then joined an executive search firm. We then got bought very quickly by Hydrogen Struggles. I was like, ah, wanting my own practice. And then they said, right, you're part of us again. And then in 2002, I thought, why am I doing it for everyone else? So I set up, we were then called MR Recruitment after me, uh, but we rebranded a number of years ago to the treasury recruitment company because that's all we do. We recruit at all levels from treasury analysts the global treasurer, and obviously talking to you, Paul, it's amazing talking to you in the US. We started off in the UK, expanded across the Middle East, Far East, and did everything. And then in the US, we actually launched our business actually in 2008. A subprime came along, a bit of scary time, went, oh, let's run away. But we came back and actually launched the business in the US in 2010, studied at Northwestern, uh, the Kellogg School, and loved it. And uh, the US is where I've been going speaking at lots of conferences for the past 10, 12 years and loving it. Well, thank you. I appreciate the introduction. Speaking of conferences, put a plug out there. For those who want to meet Mike this year, both Mike and I will be at uh, AFP in San Diego in October. We're both speaking. So what are you speaking on, Mike? I'm going to talk about uh, hybrid working. Because obviously being in treasury recruitment, hybrid, working from home, return to the office, all completely brand new topics. Five years ago, it was like, flexible working, get out of my office. Now it's like, if you don't don't flex with us, I'm not walking into your office. So I've got the amazing Leanne Perkins uh, from Specialized Bikes and Joel Campbell sharing uh, a stage with those guys and talking about their views on it. Leanne works 100% remotely. Joel, he is back in the office as a CFO, was a treasurer, and I'll be just chucking in some questions at them as well. Great. Sounds like it'll be a really good event. Uh, so I'm speaking on, uh, have two others I'm speaking with, Andrew Childress and Ron Montero. And we're going to be talking about kind of team development and making sure you build a high performing team, you know, things to think about and making sure you're developing your team. 
Yeah, looking forward to it and finally meeting you face to face. And this podcast is lovely, but there's nothing better. And that's one of the things that I've said about as people return to the office, greater than the sum of the parts, getting people back together in the office. There's just an energy that comes from it rather than just doing it all remote. I've done a lot of remote work. Most of my last 10 years of my career has been primarily remote. And it is great to see people in person. There's definitely a difference. Can you do it all remote? Can you have a good team? Yes, no doubt. But there is benefit to being in person without a question. I'm curious. So you've now been running your business for over 20 years. What has that experience been like? What do you love about running your own business? Yeah, it's amazing actually running your own business. Uh, I was working for a number of other people and just it was quite strange. You know, I would want to launch things. I remember years ago, I did a brochure and they were like, oh, no, we're not sure about it. It's one of the most successful things we ever launched. If I'd gone to them and said, oh, I want to launch a podcast, they were like, "Mm, not so sure. By setting up my own firm 25 years ago, yes, there have been some tough times along the way, getting through three recessions. It's not always been easy, but we're still here. Worked with some great team members over the years, seeing them develop and grow. And they've, you know, it's a fun environment. You know, don't go in there and have, you know, rigid KPIs or anything else. Yeah, we have a direction and everything else, but every day is about that success. And we can do these different things. You know, two weeks ago, I was in Chicago. Then I get to do other things. I get to talk to treasurers on the podcast each and every week. It's amazing fun. And actually, keeping the fun element of recruitment. Recruitment can be tough, but it can also be great fun as well. So that's one of the things for me. Great. I could totally see that, you know, having now run my own business, there are some real benefits. Like, all right, if you want to do something, you can do it. You can try it. So next, can you talk a little bit about your podcast, Treasury Career Corner? Who is that for? Quite a few years ago, early days of podcasting, I thought about doing a podcast about recruitment. I thought, well, that'd be three or four episodes. It's not going to be that much and everything else. And then uh, about five years ago, I started and had, I was studying actually, working on being mentored by a guy called Chris Ducker, who runs Upreneur, great entrepreneur, really nice guy. And we talked about them doing a podcast and he'd very successfully done one. And I thought, actually, I could interview my clients. Oh, this would be great because I love talking treasury all the time. And I thought, hang on, Treasury Career Corner was born. I thought maybe we'll do 10 episodes, see how it goes. We're now four and a half years later, 270 plus episodes, 117,000 downloads, remembering all the numbers in my head. I just love it. Each and every week I talk to treasurers about their careers, how they started their careers, where where they've seen it develop and where they see it going in the future. So it's 45-minute show, keep it nice and short and sweet, talk about their careers and where they see Treasury going to next. And it's about giving guidance and advice. And it's just been, yeah, roller coaster. I just loved it, really. I can relate. I mean, I'm in 60 episodes in now and I love doing it. It's a lot of fun. Just like you mentioned, I get to talk to all kinds of finance professionals, in particular FP&A all over the globe. This is fun to do something a little different and get to talk Treasury here and how Treasury and FP&A overlap. So I'm just excited to have you. And I totally agree with you. There's nothing like it. It's just amazing to get to talk to people all over the world and learn their perspective and learn about them for 45 minutes and get to share that with an audience. So it is a lot of fun for sure. My next question here, let's get into a little bit of what Treasury does. So what's the primarily focus on Treasury? Like what responsibilities do they have within the, you know, the office of the CFO? If I go back to basics, and apologies to anyone listening today that knows about Treasury, but when people ask me, Mike, you're a Treasury recruiter, what do you do? And I say, I place Treasury folks. What's Treasury? Well, usually I say into a CFO, there'll be three major reports. You'll have your financial controller looking at today's money and backwards. You'll have your tax guy moving left and right, making sure they minimize the tax bill. Then you'll have your treasurer. 
And the treasurer is about everything from today and the future. So if you want to go and buy a company, if you want to raise capital, want to do all this, looking at the financial risks, then that's who you go to. You go to your treasurer and the treasury team, and then they split out their responsibilities. I've got some notes here, just looking at a few of them. You've got cash management, so making sure you've got cash in the bank or and access to facilities if need be. Uh, again, with the Treasury Career Corner, someone asked me at Eurofinance Conference, how come you can do this so many times, have so many different stories? And I said, well, look, each of these different treasurers has a totally different ethos around treasury. And they're like, well, what do you mean? I said, well, that company over there and that treasurer, they're debt laden, they're cash rich. One is centralized, one is decentralized. And this is also you know, reflects into the finance tasks that they cover. So it's not one you know, size fits all in broad brushstroke, but you know, you t- tend to think you know, treasurers will do cash management, they'll do risk management, and whether that's uh, foreign exchange, interest rate risk, liquidity risk, operational risk, you got all those things as well. Then you've got funding, capital structuring, working with your banks. So there's a lot of relationship management, there's FPA. Oh, funnily enough. Um, and that interfacing with the models, and that's becoming more prevalent, I would say. And then there's uh, your day-to-day policies, compliance, pensions. You know, there's the whole remit. But the key one, I would say, is cash management, risk, funding, those are the, and debt capital management and those sort of areas, really. That all makes sense and totally understand what you're saying. And I like how you mentioned it can be so different in each company because of the debt structure, the size, the amount of cash, right? If you're in a startup, you're dealing, you might be dealing with millions of dollars where you're running Walmart, be dealing with a hundred billion dollars, right? You know, over a couple of years, just the, the magnitude between the two, there's no comparison. So I agree it can be very different in the amount of debt some companies can have or the cash, right? You look at a, an Apple and look at how much cash they have on the books or a Microsoft, right? The amount of cash they have is bigger than the value of most companies out there by an order of magnitude. And so what their treasury department needs to do and manage is so different, right? You think 1% on $70 billion versus, you know, 1% on a million dollars or 4% or whatever the number is, but just, right, it's just so different. And then you've got also startups, as you say, are typically smaller, they're less complex. They've not got the cash balances yet to manage. Operations are maybe more concentrated one or a a group of countries. I remember talking to a global treasurer one time. She was a lovely lady, and she said she'd gone to this art exhibition. And she's not big into socializing and, you know, outside of work with other treasurers. It wasn't unsocial. It was just she didn't have the time. And she was, you know, moving into this group of treasury folks. And one of them was like, oh, we've got so many issues. And it was like, oh, wow, okay, this sounds like an interesting chat. And he said, yeah, in these four out of our 12 countries. And she sort of just sashayed back, back out of the group. And I said, well, why? You know, what's that? And she said, Mike, I've got issues in 95 countries. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. And it said, it's just a scaling thing as well. Because the currency risk can be massive or, you know, if it's only in two or three domestic sort of currencies, you know, it's not going to be a domestic field. It's not going to be so complex, is it? And I totally have seen that in FP&A when you talk about all the different currencies. I managed Latin America and Asia. And one of the countries I had was Argentina. And so we had to forecast a portion in USD, a portion in the local currency and had to understand all the contracts and you know, to make sure how we thought about that potential risk around currency. And so I can only imagine you, you magnify that with treasury to the extent of FP&A. So I can totally get that. So we talk kind of small, small companies. I'm curious, do you typically see, you know, companies wanting 
FP&A to also do treasury? Or how do you see treasury and kind of startups? Because I know a lot of times finance is one of the last functions you build out. You know, you get your accountant first, you might get some tax, a little bit of tax, you might get a CFO. And then often they start adding somebody that wears multiple hats. They might be doing a little bit of treasury, a little bit of FP&A. So what do you typically see and how do you see that typically working? Well, some of the time you find that uh, obviously cash is king. It's a prime interest to the company and also to FP&A professionals. That's exactly what they do. You know, they will become involved in projecting cash flows, uh, expenditure in and out, uh, investments of surplus cash. So you've got all the in and out cash coming in and out. Now, cash management tends to be managed by treasury. But, you know, in a smaller group, there isn't a treasury. And we often get involved when someone says, oh, we need a cash manager because our FP&A person is doing it at the moment. They're, they're handling it and they've got too much other stuff to do. So can you get us a treasury manager, treasurer? You know, we, and we recruit at all levels. That's one of the things I would say that typically in startups, you won't have, it'll be a more day-to-day corporate operation. So it'll be more day-to-day cash. And then that comes through in the other areas. So I'm thinking risk management. So um, it's usually a specialized function in a mega major but in you know FP&A professionals in smaller firms might be asked to do that. You know, can you model this business partner we're going to work with? What's their currency risk? What's their credit risk with that company as well? That's where FP&A comes to the fore. And that interfaces very much with Treasury, which we'll talk about more later as well. But then you've got other things. So you've got the financing. Again, thinking about some of my notes, there was financing the FP&A might be involved in with the debt and equity, capital structuring for the company. If you haven't got a treasury, per se, you might say, look, you need to be the point person for bank relationships. So can you talk to our banks about our credit, our loans? Can you model this, banking services? And then also investments. So where you've got this surplus cash, are we just going to leave it to dormant and do nothing? This is where you'd have an FPA person, right, we need to make the you know this lazy cash, let's really use that. When someone brings in their first treasury person, say a treasury manager, you're passing off, right, his cash, his risk, is the bank relationships, his investments. And that's usually coming from FBNA who have gone, I'm so overworked and we've grown and grown. It's your bag now. That makes sense. And that's kind of how I would expect is you bring in that person to do budgeting and forecasting, say, oh, here, handle cash as well. Or here, take care of the accounting people. And they're working 60, 70 hours a week. And it's like, guys, you need to do something if I'm going to stay. It's like, all right, well, why don't we bring in somebody to help take the cash side off or you add someone on the accounting side or whatever. Cause yeah, in small companies, you wear multiple hats. And so that, that makes sense. And that's typically what I've seen. You know, my interesting experience, this is a large company, but with treasury where I most interacted with them surprisingly was American express. And, uh, I had a role where I managed travelers checks of all things. And so with travelers checks, all our revenue came from the float. So we had a $2 billion liability on the balance sheet that we invested. And so I was forecasting how much we thought encashments would be each month and how many calls we thought would happen on municipal bonds. I'm like, this is a unique forecast. And so, you know, a lot of close conversation with Treasury. It's like, what interest rates should I use? You know, what do I expect to happen? This was, I don't know, 2016, 2017. And you were worried, is Puerto Rico going to default? And you know, things that you would usually see in Treasury. But because that was our revenue source for the entire business, 
that was a huge part of the forecasting. So it gave me a real appreciation for that risk management and some of the things treasury does that I'd never really dealt with before. And so that was kind of my you know, first real experience with treasury was supporting that $2 billion fund and the encashments around it and all the bonds that went with it. Next question I have, how do you think Treasury and FP&A can work better together? What do you think the key for, especially in large companies, for them making sure they're on the same page? Have a coffee. You know, talk together. Have that communication. I think Treasury in the past became two specialists 20-odd years ago and went into its ivory tower. They got a big pay rise and then they realized, oh, hang on, we don't want to be in this ivory tower. Don't put baby in the corner. I want to come out of it. And then they then spent 15 years trying to get back out. And now it's much more mainstream with Treasury. FPNA has always been there, I think, is right at the center of things. And I think the more that Treasury can then integrate and communicate with FPNA, the better. So that's what I mean by have a coffee, make sure that you're working with those guys and everything else. Because then, and the actual day to day, if we look at the actual work you're doing, you've got this one source of truth, if you like. And I'm, again, looking back at some of the notes I gave out of a previous speech and was asked a little bit about this. And it's, it's quite interesting now that FBNA and Treasury have got that much closer together because they both work from the same, you know, source, if you like. So by, you know, accurate financial data then means that then go slightly different directions, maybe, that Treasury is looking at cash flow forecasting to manage liquidity. FBNA is using the forecasting for budgeting, strategic planning in a different way, but they work alongside each other. And that's one of the key things that, you know, the accuracy, the up-to-dateness, you know, the sort of assumptions and information that come from that. Because also then that comes from it, this risk management. You know, if we're going to do this strategic plan to go into, you mentioned there, Paul, about Argentina and, you know, wow, you know, and the volatile, you know, Latin American countries when I've had some of those guests on the podcast and they're amazing. And then they say about hyperinflation, it doubles overnight and then this and they're like, wow, you know, and that's the treasurers are handling it. But then they've got to go to their FBI guy, right? You know, we were going to take over that company. Okay, well, now it's going to cost us this. And then trap cash in different, you know, localities, whatever it might be as well. So you've got that, you've got the forecasting, risk management, decision making that comes into it, cross training. I think that's one of the other things that, you know, I do a lot of speaking about branding and LinkedIn and things like that. And you could get a great FP&A person who wants their next move. And if you've communicated well with your FP&A team, could that person from FP&A come into Treasury, please? And or... Treasury, I was, again, as I said, at the Windy City Summit recently, there were a couple of people there, the interns, and they were facilitating sessions. Big shout out to them. They're amazing. But a couple of them said, oh, I don't want to go into Treasury now. I've seen Treasury. Like, it's interesting. But I want to go into an FB&A. What do you think? And I was like, well, yeah, great place to go. I said, but don't leave Treasury behind. You know, keep on talking to us and stuff. And it was great that they could sort of move between the two and, and actually see them working hand in hand rather than totally separate. You know, so aligned goals, aligned ways of working. I think it's great they're working together more. And I, I love how you said, hey, going back and forth, right? Someone could be in Treasury or someone could be in FPNA. I had a guest on, Jeff Marks, who talked about the finance passport and how you have kind of two people. You have the, you know, the specialist and then you have kind of the utility athlete. Right. You think of you know, certain sports, you know, utility player in baseball that kind of can play all the different positions type of thing and saying you need both. And so I think there's, that's a great route to get a lot of experiences to try that. Hey, let's see what Treasury is like. Let's see what's FP&A. And having each of those different experiences makes you more round, well-rounded and gives you an appreciation for the other functions. 
because it's easy sometimes to not appreciate the work others do. You know, I've spent most of my career in FP&A. I started in procurement and I've done a little bit in the kind of the sales ops realm. But, you know, there's definitely areas where I don't always understand because I haven't worked in that area. So I can appreciate that need. Talking about working better together, what would you say to an FP&A professional? So we talked a little bit about you know, Treasury, how they can work better, get the coffee, but any advice for an FP&A professional to better work with Treasury or to understand or partner with them? Like, What are the things FP&A should be thinking about to make sure they're working with Treasury? It's an interesting one because as a recruiter, I'm sort of not standing on the sidelines. I'm, you know, I'm very much involved in it and everything else. One of the key things, you know, so say forecasting cash flow. You know, who's in charge of that and everything else. It's about collaborating. This is from my observations. And it's about trying to assess people that who pl- who plays nicest, who works well. You know, when I'm interviewing people, I'm saying, look, what's your relationship with other teams? How do you facilitate that? What do you do and everything else? Obviously, Treasury is responsible generally for company liquidity, financial risk. But that's equally that, you know, FP&A is looking after planning, budgeting, strategic analysis. So one has to be with the other. They are interdependent all the way through. So they need to both have an understanding of business drivers. So again, it goes back to have a coffee and everything else. And, you know, it's not, it said slightly jokey tongue in teeth, but not meant that. The treasurers that I see, and I do a lot more senior treasury recruitment myself, the ones that are really successful, the ones that understand those dynamics, you know, what I'm trying to do is identify those candidates that can do that, that are able to spin those plates. And the ones that, can't they just get obsessed with one area and to the exclusion of other areas one of the situations we've got at the moment one of my contacts they've talked about their treasurer who's really gone down this rabbit hole of ai and they're really into that they're doing it to the exclusion even of, even of treasury let alone fbna they're like oh really this is going to be the way this is going to and, and process and it and it's actually taking them away from their day job when they should be you know treasury and they're an amazing treasury professional themselves she spends a lot of her time reaching out to the other teams you know she sits and has regular catch-ups with them and the more you do that that's why she's going to be a superstar and she is a superstar now but she will be a global treasurer at some stage because she's able to facilitate that as well the well-rounded versus you know going down the rabbit hole that 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 makes a lot of sense to me and the question I have for you there. You talked about how you interview a lot of treasury people. How often do you see people looking to be global treasurers that have a diverse background? So maybe some FP&A or they came from accounting or what do you typically see when you're looking for those senior treasury people? The one thing I guarantee is it's 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 all different. You know, there are some commonalities, you know, they might have studied, you know, will be AFP There's some of them will study the CTP qualification. That's a great rubber stamp to have. And there are the treasury qualifications out there. So they'll have their foundation qualifications, if you like. And then it's about the different routes. And and talking on the podcast, it's very different. A lot of people in the UK, for instance, get into treasury by accident. A lot of treasury folks in Europe tend to get in. They might do a foundation in the banks and then work on the corporate. Oh, actually, I like treasury. It's like in the US... it's more prevalent, I would say, in study. A lot of people are getting it more through their degrees now, which is fantastic. There's a lot more being done by the associations themselves, both regionals and national, like AFP. I'm then seeing with those treasury folks, they're getting this well-rounded experience of finance. And treasury is a part of it. It's part of that jigsaw puzzle, if you like. They work nicely with tax. They work with FP&A. They work with this. So the, the, you know, the treasurers that I'm talking to understand all of those cogs 
I remember one of my ex-colleagues many, many years ago, we did a team building exercise and they drew this diagram with all these cogs. And it was about how we all work together. But then it also came down to the business as well. And some of our clients about how treasury interface with tax, interface with FP&A, interface with sales. And it was it was amazing, the sort of all the different cogs wearing around. Great pictorial view. You know, career, you used to think it was just a ladder and you kind of climbed it. And now it's much more of this type of thing. And you want that broad perspective of finance. You know, many FP&A professionals have worked in different organizations, very similar to treasury. And I love how you said, you know, being able to work together and that experience being well-rounded, that resonates with me just from talking to people and what I've seen in FP&A. I think it's very similar in treasury and throughout finance. You know, there is in some companies, but rarely is there that just that straight ladder. You just go from promotion to promotion. There's a lot of times sideways and moving around and getting a diverse set of experiences to make you well-rounded, you know, particularly in finance. I think that is you know huge. But stepping back for one minute, just for our audience, so if anyone's wondering, he mentioned CTP, and that's the Certified Treasury Professional. That's offered by AFP, so you know Association of Finance Professionals, and they're the same organization that offers the Finance Planning and Analysis Certification. So they have an FP&A certification as well. That's actually one I'm studying for right now, or I'm taking in a few months. I should be studying is probably the better way to say it, but... <laughs> Keep reading those books. Yeah, come on. I, after this, I want some study out of you, boy. Come on. I'll, I'll think about it. So yeah, you know, as, as Mike said, so anyone who's curious about that, that's a great organization, great certifications. They have them for both Treasury and FP&A. We're seeing a lot more FP&A people start to become CFOs. So do you think just in general to be a CFO, you know, I have a lot of FP&A audience. Do you think they need to work in Treasury to reach that CFO level? What's, what's your thought? <laughs> selfishly yes you definitely do go to treasuryrecruitment.com send me your resume joking aside if you don't work in treasury then that's fine you know you don't need it but you definitely need an understanding either you at a later stage as a cfo you're going you're likely to run your treasury team and they're going to report into you so you need to know what they're doing you know no, you know i'm not saying that you need to know everything about tax to run a tax team but you need to understand what they're doing and how, you know, understand how they operate, the levers and what the cogs are within the tax team. You need to do the same with treasury, you know. So if you want to be, you know, an FBA professional and you want to be that CFO, you might not want to say, right, actually, treasury, I don't want to work there, but you need to understand financial risk management, capital structure, cash management, banking relationships, decision-making, all of those. Who does all that stuff? Well, the treasury team. You know, and again, I've talked to some of my guests recently and, you know, one of the things that I've noticed is that they are, the more they collaborate, the more successful they are as treasurers. One in particular, a few weeks ago, he said he has a regular weekly coffee with someone from another department. I said, oh, you know, who's that? And he said, I don't know. I said, oh, what do you mean? He said, no, we go out and they go out and they, you know, it might be he's talking to a junior person, junior FBNA person following week, the head of tax, no, you know, or the head of sales or one of the sales guys. In, and he gets to know the company. And by doing that, Treasury spreads the word sort of thing. So similar with FP&A, I think that's what they need to do, that focus on Treasury as part of your toolkit, if you like. I like how you said that part of the toolkit. I think the most important thing is to understand it. 
whether it's through a special project. I think having a role in treasury is great if you really want a deep understanding. But like you said, it's not necessary to be a CFO. You see CFOs that have had an accounting background or I saw one the other day that came from uh, marketing of all places and then did a little bit of finance and ended up becoming a CFO. But you, you need that understanding. I think that's the key. Not necessarily that you have to have the role, but you have to have the experience. And that can come through a project. It can come through spending the time to understand it, a little bit of education, a little bit of work. There's multiple ways to get there. Since you do a lot of recruitment, any advice from what you're seeing in this job market to help candidates be better prepared? Be prepared. <laughs> and what I mean is plan for that, not just be relaxed about it. Oh, the next job's going to come about. Oh, this is it. To actually start to prepare. One of the things I close a lot of my conference speeches is actually when I say to people, spend 10 minutes a week on yourself. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, but I'm busy. Yeah, you're always going to be busy. But, you know, 10 minutes on a Friday morning, looking at your resume, looking at your LinkedIn profile, looking at, you know, developing yourself, do some self-development, maybe make half an hour a week. And then we were doing some of the cumulative effects of this. Compound effects were incredible. Nobody else is going to do it for you. Nobody else is going to take charge of your career except for you. If you sit back, you're going to lose. You sit back, you're going to lose. Well said. I love how you started off with be prepared. And the reason I probably laughed as hard as I did is, you know, I grew up in a scouting family, Boy Scouts. And so I earned my Eagle Scout. I was a scout leader for 10 years. My parents spent, spent 40 years in scouting and the scout motto was be prepared. So when you said that, that's immediately what it, you know, kind of came flooding back is that was beaten into my head, almost literally, you know, over a good 30, 40 years. And so I think it's so applicable to so many things, but particularly a job interview. Some people think, well, I'm a good interviewer and I've been guilty of it. I can go in and wing it. And it just never ends well or rarely. Yes, you might get the job in, on the blue moon, but it's just not the way to do it. One of the things I was asked by one of, you know, again, I've spoken for past 10 years at the Chicago Treasurer's Conference. And I was asked about three, four years ago by one of the guys said, oh, do you rehearse? What do you think? Do I rehearse? Great comedians. They rehearse 50 times. I threw away one of the bits of the speech as I was going through because I thought, no, that's boring. Throw it away. Oh, was that prepared? No, it wasn't prepared. It was because I'd rehearsed. I was prepared, you know, and, you know, the more you can prepare, then you can cope with the, you know, the, all the, all the tough times. Agree, right? It's like when they talk about planning, plans are useless to a certain extent, rarely are they right, but planning is everything. I think it was once said, you may not use 90% of what you put together in preparing. But doing all of that helps you be better prepared for when that surprise comes or the curveball because you've put a lot of time in, you've studied the company and you're, you're well prepared. So I, I totally agree. It's just, it's so critical and in every aspect, but particularly the job search, you need to always be doing your part. So now we get to our last few questions and these are a couple standard questions we have. So we ask all our guests this. And the first one here on the show, we're big believers that Failures are learning experiences. And so we ask every guest to describe a time you experienced a failure at work and what you learned from it. I've never failed. Never failed, Paul. I don't know what you're talking about. I've always been perfect in this world. It's like, you know, I've ridden this, this crest of this wave for all these. No, it was a good question, actually. I, when I got this before, I was like, wow. We'll go internal, external. I think the first one is an external failure. It's more about biggest challenge in business, I think, in some ways, is educating our clients. 
in a nice way. I wrote an article a few years ago about it, and we the title was, it's not about you anymore, it's about them. And getting a lot of treasury folks to think about their audience. It implies just the same for CFOs, for FBNA, that when you're recruiting, it's a, a war for talent. So in order to do that, you need to attract the right talent. If you go, I've got this great role, come to us. So what? If you just copy and paste the job description, so what? You know, it, it's, you know, you need to actually reach out and grab their attention, show people why. I talked to a, a really great guy with a very large automotive manufacturer. He was actually in Europe at the time. It, the, his career had taken him a number of places. And I said, look, your advert is terrible. He's like, oh, oh, okay. I said, tell me about your career. And he went, well, I said, no, talk me through which country. So you then moved this country, then did this. I said, you've got this amazing career path. Yeah. I said, where does it say any of this stuff here? And it didn't. And he was like, oh, wow, you're right. Yeah, that's amazing. So I said, look, try and describe that. I said, that's one of the things. That's one of the ways that they could win it. There are a couple of other bits, I think, on a recruitment basis. I think a lot of clients, uh, and again, this isn't a sales pitch. It's more they, they think they can just rely on things like LinkedIn. You know, just stick an advert on LinkedIn. Everyone comes running and stuff. You you can get a number of people, but you're getting access to the 5-10% of people who are actively looking for a job. And they're not necessarily the 90%, the latent talent pool that want a new role. That's where we access that as well. The other biggest challenge is cash flow. The lifeblood of the business, you've got to pay the bills. The one constant bar the bills is tax bills, wages, marketing, everything else. All of these lot of time and money. If you run out of it, that's it. You're gone. Looking after the purse strings. I think that cash flow is king. And I got asked about being an entrepreneur a few years ago. And they said, what advice would you give to someone? Number one, think about the cash. Like, All right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Number two, refer to lesson number one. They said number three. And I said, well, yeah, refer to the other two. It's not very original. It's true though. Because with more cash, you can then do more exciting things, go to more conferences, expand the business. Without it, you're stuck in your office just hitting the phone. And so speaking of the cash, because that kind of stuck out to me, we had a guest on, I want to say it was episode four, five, six, somewhere right in there, very early on, Gemma DeVee. And she had given a talk at a, at a webinar about cash flow management and FP&A. And so you just mentioned, you know, cash at the end of the day, right? Cash is king. As one person said it, you have a business until you don't, right? You have cash until you run out of it. It's so critical. And if you want to experience a failure, run out of cash. There's a real learning experience. And you have to go get a job with someone that has got cash. At the end of the day, yeah, if you want a job, you got to have cash. It's how it, how it works. And I've, you know, you've definitely seen those companies that that happens to. But just that importance of cash for FP&A professionals. They really need to be working with Treasury and helping with the cash flow forecasting. Because I think the two coming together can improve the accuracy. Because they each come from a different perspective and different data. But moving on to our next kind of question here, this is one I really like to ask people because we like to get a little personal on the show, learn a little bit about our guests. What is something unique about you they can share with our audience? Ideally, something they wouldn't find online. What makes Mike tick that nobody knows about? Uh, still playing rugby, but that's a totally personal thing. We just talked about that before the show badly, but you know, I just love it. It's a passion of mine. I think the more work-related one came from, and actually I, I was speaking again, at a gig a few years ago, I was giving advice to the audience about their personal brand. I said, I don't like public speaking. <laughs> you're standing on the main stage, you're doing this. And I said, I don't enjoy it. And it often surprised me, hang on, but you're good at it. You're this. I said, yeah, it's a practice skill. 
I didn't get up this morning and go, oh, I want to stand in front of 100. I get nerves. I, I'm i not built like that. I'm, I'm, uh, I would say I'm balanced sometimes. So I'm not imbalanced. I'm not an introvert, but I'm not 100% extrovert. You know, I know that I, I looked at myself and the business. If we were going to grow throughout Europe and then actually the US in more recent years, I had to get out of my comfort zone. I had to get out of my way. So it was put my hand up and go, yeah, I'll come to your conference. Yeah, I'll come to Texas. Yeah, I'll come to Chicago. Yeah, I'll come to AFP. When we do it, I, I much more enjoy it when I'm having guests, like I'll have Leanne and Joel later this year. That'd be amazing because having conversations like that, that's my comfort zone. Whereas when it's just me, I can do it and I get some really great ratings. Love that. But I really don't enjoy it per se. I, it, it's, it's hard work, but it's so rewarding and it gives so much more back. So I think there's two things on the personal front, rugby, still playing that, still loving that, still getting your body beat up a little bit, I'm guessing. You're not sore in the morning when you get up now playing rugby, are you? Oh, good, yeah. Yeah, I'm like, literally, (laughs) my wife's like, when are you giving up this stupid game? And I'm like, when my body just says no more. And that's, no, we're not, we're we're closer to the end than the finish, should I say. But uh, yeah, still loving it and, you know, avid watcher of it as well. Great. Well, you got to have those things you enjoy doing. I like running and. I've started picking it up the last year or two, and my body definitely doesn't respond how it used to. So I can relate to the getting old, getting old. Like sometimes I'm like, wow, I never had a problem running at all. Now it's like, oh, I'm out for three weeks because I pulled this or I hurt that or just life. Not much we can do about it. Just enjoy the ride, as they say. So this is another question we ask everybody. And so, well, I know you do work in recruitment treasury, so you may not spend a lot of time in this platform, but we'll see. What's your favorite thing about Microsoft Excel? It could be a formula. It can be a feature. I'm assuming you use it some or you've used it. So what do you like about it? It's quite a good one, actually, got me thinking. It's more of one of the functions. And it's got better and better, I think, with uh, which is the text split, T-E-X-T split with Excel. We spend a lot of time on there obviously reaching out to a number of clients, to candidates. We get, you know, delegate lists. We're reaching out to people. I've got better and better. You know, I'm not Excel whiz, but I love it, you know, where, you know, you've got a dynamic array. You can split it into multiple cells. So, yeah, text split. That is text split. So there's there were three new ones they added with that. So funny, I had a conversation the other day. So there's text split, text before, and text after. And they all, you know, help you split the data in different ways and, I was on a call, we're getting ready to train someone and they were mentioning, yeah, I got to do left and mid and this and that. And I go, well, let me show you this. And I showed it to them for like two minutes and they were just like, you mean I can just do that now? And they were so excited. They're like, I know what I'm doing the rest of the day. And I just laughed. And the worst bit was, I, you know, someone said to me, you've always been able to do that. I went, no, you couldn't. I said, previously you didn't. You know, I had researchers going copy, paste, copy, paste, copy. And like, you know, with thousands of records, now it's just, yeah, much better. Yeah, yeah. And there's always a whiz that could figure out how to do it, but it's so much easier when it's a simple formula that you can explain versus writing something like this, or as you mentioned, doing copy, paste, right? There wasn't an easy way to do it. So I, yeah, I love those new functions. Last two questions here. First is, if someone was starting a career today in finance and you could give them one piece of advice, what would it be? Goal. Where do you want to be? You know, some of the guests I had on my podcast the other day, one of, the, one of them particularly said he didn't plan, you know, all the steps in between. He was quite relaxed about the steps in between. That was fine. But he knew where he wanted to get to at least was CFO. It took him different, you know, this wavering path sort of thing. And 
not everything was planned to the right now in a year's time i need to be there and he he was open to opportunities and he you know for instance he was in the us and then they said we'd like someone to go and run our asia pacific center in singapore he didn't know where singapore was <laughs> it was like he was like i don't know but they said yeah we need someone to go run the center he said i'll do it three weeks later he was in singapore and they were like right okay and he was like okay how do we do this then and it, you know he was open to it and he's a global cfo now and he made a series of different steps because he was open to that. And then they said, could you move there? Could you move to Europe? And he went right the way around the world. So it's literally taken him there. So, But he set out with a goal in mind. Goal is always a good piece of advice to be goal-focused and know where you want to go. Last question. If somebody wants to get a hold of you, what's the best way to do that? Well, hang out a little bit on LinkedIn. You might see me all over the place. Please put it in the show notes. Uh, MR Treasury is the handle on there, Mr. Treasury, if you like. Um, but I'm on there or treasuryrecruitment.com. Again, I don't know if you, Paul, will hopefully add that to the show notes. Connect to me if you're looking for the next move into Treasury, want some advice about Treasury, you want to recruit a treasurer, definitely call. Cool. There's lots of advice, uh, lots of personal branding, various other bits on there. Yeah, connect. We'll definitely put that in the show notes. We'll put your LinkedIn and your website and really enjoyed having you on the show today. It was fun to talk a little bit about treasury. So I appreciate it. Thanks for your time, Mike. 